Good morning, church. Trust you're doing well. Name is uh, Brandon Ziske. I am the lead pastor here at Austin Oaks Church. If you are a guest or visiting us with us this morning, we want to let you know a little bit about who we are. Our passion and our DNA is to strive to be simply about Jesus because we want to help people meet, know, and follow him because when you encounter him, it literally changes everything. So that's a little bit about who we are. Um, had a great weekend. I hope you did too. Um, if you don't know, my wife and I and our family were Minnesotans, and so um, we got to do something that was kind of, seemed like kind of a big to do in Austin in the winter season. We went ice skating up on Whole Foods, right? Now you got to understand something, okay? As Minnesotans, every year we would do this thing where my kids and I we would build an ice rink in our backyard. And the ice rink is about the same size as the one at Whole Foods. So we, we had this mind as we were going there, it's like, it's going to be big, it's going to be fun. My son, he skated hockey. Our, our oldest, Cora, she did a little figure skating there, and I had some hockey skates. And we thought we were going to be able to skate kind of like we did up north and be all nostalgic. But we got there, it was nice and quaint and small and fun. It was really good for our egos, okay? We were by far the best skaters there. Yes. So it was really good. No, it was, it was a lot of fun, but, you know, it, yeah, we won't get into the weather and all that kind of stuff, but um, we are in a month of prayer. It's January, and we do this two months out of the year where we set aside a month and we focus on prayer. So January and August are months of prayer for us, and so I want to encourage you, um, if you're on Facebook, if you're on our Facebook page, you will notice there's prayer prompts. I want to encourage you to join us if you're able on Tuesdays at noon to pray with us as we pray over the requests of people. Um, it's a really sweet and blessed time to do that. I want to encourage you to come to that as well. And there's going to be other prayer opportunities down the road that you'll discover and find out. And I want to encourage you to join us in those as well. And we're also, as you're going to hear later, we're doing a small groups promo. It's an opportunity for you to get connected with another group of people. There's two, really two things that really become a catalyst and a stimulant for your faith. First is connecting with Jesus, right? That's the first one. You come to him, you let him grab your heart, and he captivates you, you abide in him. But the second thing is, is to do this with a group of people. Because if Sunday morning is all you're doing, listen, it's hard for this to be considered discipleship because iron sharpens iron. It's hard for us to know your needs and for us to meet your needs. But when you're with a small group of people, it does something there. And we're talking about these topics and these texts that are really deeper than what we're presenting on a Sunday, and you're able to dive in with that a little bit deeper with that group of individuals throughout the week. So I want to encourage you, please, do not walk out of this room without grabbing one of those uh, small group books that are on the back. I know you're going to hear more about that as we go on. Okay, so we're in this series called Take It All, and it's this whole idea that this year is going to be the year of the heart. We're going to be coming before the Lord with our hands open and saying, God, would you take more? What, what is my next step of being able to love you with all of my heart, with all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength? And we're going to be moving towards that because like we saw last week, that if God gets more of our heart, that if we learn to love him with all of our heart, we will discover that everything else starts to fall into place. We're really our love to God and understanding his love to us first because our love is always a response to that will become the remedy to so many of the issues in our lives, right? It's not, we don't love God because we try to love him harder. I'm going to will myself to love him. Our love for God is always going to be a response to, right? We love because he first loved us. And so we said 
that the best way for us to love the Lord with all of our heart is to be reminded and dependent upon his spirit to help us understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Right? So one of the things that we say here at Austin Oaks is that the problem isn't that we don't love God enough. The problem is, is that we don't understand how much God loves us. And if you recall, we looked at a verse in John 15, 9, and this really, this verse is, is magnificent. It's, it's mind-blowing because in this verse, we get a, a, the clearest picture of how Jesus loves us. And so Jesus said in John 15, 9, as the Father has loved me. Now, you have to pause right there. You have to think about that. You have to try to understand how does the Father in heaven love his son, Jesus. Because this is how Jesus says, this is how I love you. As he loved me, I love you. And our love for him, we give him more of our hearts as we come to know and understand this love that surpasses all knowledge. And so what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be diving into the next section of the Shema, where it's love the Lord your God with all your heart. This morning we're going to be diving into how do we love the Lord with all of our soul. So if you would mind, wouldn't mind, please stand as we're going to hear and read the Shema. It's going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Father, we come humbly before you this morning in a posture of prayer and understanding that we can't understand the depths of our heart or our soul if it is not opened up to us by your Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give us glimpses of your heart for us. Lord, help us to understand the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Would you grant us the ability through your Spirit to be strengthened so that today, together with all of the saints, that we would come to know the height and the depth and the width and the length of this love. Lord, I pray that we would have a clearer sense this morning of how to live a life of submission, a life of humility, and a life that is flourishing. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take a seat. <coughs> when I was a college pastor, one of my routines, and, and part of the routine is still the same today, is I would get up in the morning and drink some coffee because total coffee addict, I am not ashamed, and I will never break that addiction. Just letting you know, so don't bother me, okay? And so it's like, like I would drink literally anywhere between three to five cups of coffee in the morning because the first cup of coffee is just routine. Like, that does nothing, right? It's just like the smell and the ritual of getting it ready. So I'll drink that cup, and around I get to the second cup, I'm like, okay, I'm starting to perk up a little bit. Cup three, ready to go. Cup four is just for good measure, right? So like, I'll drink about three or four cups of coffee in the morning. And I remember this one time as a college pastor, um, I was using that time, time with the Lord and journaling and reading, and then I would spend some time doing sermon work and getting my message ready. And so how my routine would go is I would do that in the morning, then around noon I would meet with students one-on-one at a coffee shop. In order to be a good host and a good college pastor, I would buy these students coffee. And at the the coffee shop that we would go to, they had this bottomless cup of coffee. 
okay? So I would buy the student coffee, and without even realizing it, I would also get another cup of coffee. So this day, I literally had meetings at 12, 1, 2, and 3. And so I already had a pot of coffee in the morning, and without realizing it, I must have had another five cups of coffee. And then at 4 o'clock is usually when I do, you guys are looking at me like, how did he live? Yeah, I know. Like, then around 4 o'clock, I would usually do my workout. And because I need to be ready to work out, I would take a pre-workout supplement that's loaded with caffeine. And so I had a workout, and it was a great workout. I remember like it was yesterday. I, I broke many PRs, personal records. I squatted the most and bench. It was a great workout. I was feeling amazing. I went home, had dinner with my wife, and we vegged out, and it was time for bed. She was ready in bed, and it was my turn to get ready. So I went in the bathroom. As I was standing by the sink, you ever had those moments when you like stood up too quick and you're like, whoa, you know what I'm talking about? You had that moment? I, I, I was standing by the sink and I was like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So I grabbed it, like just the counter. And then the next thing you know, my lips start tingling. And I'm like, okay. And it like, it, it like got to that point where like your, you know, your limbs are like sleeping. And it's just like that pins and needles. And it started happening and it just started to spread. And it went down into my arms and my arms were tingling. And then it went down into my legs and my legs were tingling. And then it, they went numb and like really heavy. And I found myself on the floor and, and I started to freak out. Like, I'm like, oh my gosh, what's happening to me? I think I'm dying. And my heart is pounding. And I was so weak and so fatigued. I couldn't do anything. And I wanted to yell for my wife, but all I could really get out was, like, I, I just couldn't get it out. And I don't know if it was because of this, what was happening or because I was panicking. So all I could do in that moment was kind of like get my body to hit the bathtub. And I must have done that for like five minutes. And she finally came into the bathroom and she was like, what? And found me on the floor. And what she said, she like, you looked as white as a sheet. Like, it was bad. And she went to give me a cup of water and she gave me that water. You ever have this cup of water where you take a drink and you're like, you could just feel it? go through your whole body. Isn't that like the greatest feeling in the world? You're like, oh. But it, like I had that, and so I felt it just go through my body. But as I drank it, all of the feeling came back. And I was just like, I'm not dying. I was just dehydrated. I can't believe I didn't realize that. I can't believe that the whole day as I was pounding caffeine and not even thinking about what I was doing to my body, knowing that your body needs water to live, your body needs water to function. I know that your body needs water and if you don't have water in three, four days, you'll probably die. Dehydration is a big deal. I know that. So why didn't I take care of myself? We do this with our souls. We know what our souls need. We know that our souls need to be planted by the streams of the living water, by God, rooted in him, so that his life and his, his water, his spirit flows in and through us so that we can function right. But the reality is, and so many times, we act in a different way, even though we know it, and then when the consequences happen or the tendencies and the behaviors show up, we're like, how did this happen? I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this. Or maybe your soul is just full of worry and anxiety. You know, maybe you're trying to control the outcomes of your life, like, because we never try to do that. And you start to feel all of this unrest and unpeace, and you're like, what's happening? And your soul just feels like shriveling, almost as if your soul is dying. We have to understand that our souls were created for a specific purpose, just like our hearts were created for a specific purpose. So here's what I want to do this morning. 
is I'm going to spend roughly about 10 minutes teaching on some technical definitions and understandings of the word soul. Because if we don't understand how the Hebrews interpreted the word soul, we won't understand fully what it means to love the Lord your God with all of your soul. Because the reality is, we oftentimes interpret soul through the lens of the ancient Greeks. We think of it through the lens of psychology and all these things. Plus, our culture has so many different meanings and uses for the word soul that it's hard to understand. So then once I do that, I'm going to come back and answer the so what. So I'm going to give you some permission. If you're not the type that likes technical academic stuff, you have 10 minutes to take a nap. I will wake you up in due time when you want to know the so what. You will understand that, but I encourage you not to. I'm getting heads shaking at me like, no, 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 no. It's good. You can stay awake. Okay. So, soul. What is soul? We use the word for soul music, like the last song we sang, All My Hope, that song had some soul in it. Like, what does that mean? Right? There's soul food. Like, what does that mean? Right? Like, sometimes we define people as like, oh, he's got soul, or she got soul. Or even sometimes we'll say, like, it, it moved me in my soul. Like, like I, I've taken it to my soul. My soul is unrest. Oh, it speaks to my soul. Have you ever said this? My job is soul-sucking. <laughs> or this relationship is soul Right? Like, like, what are we actually trying to say when we use these definitions? It, it's hard to understand. And a lot of times, we're thinking it through, like I said, through the ancient Greek filter, where all it has to do is, is with this immaterial aspect of who we are. Our emotions, our feelings, our psyche, which is the word for soul in the New Testament, because the word was in the Greek, and the Greek didn't have a word for the word soul in the Hebrew. And so a lot of times when we think of the word soul, we're thinking of this like misty thing inside of us, kind of like our conscious and our subconscious. And what are we? Are we just mind and body? Are we the mind, body, soul? And then our spirit and soul, the same thing. And you're just like, I don't know. It's just my soul. Like, what, how do we define this? Because in the Greco-Roman world, soul was always thought more of the immaterial, the feelings, the purpose, the emotions, the subconscious, and the unconscious. But the Hebrews would have never, ever, ever have thought of soul that way. They would have thought of it as part of it, but there's a whole other aspect to soul that the Hebrews would have used to define it. <clears throat> so, if you ever notice this, in, in the Shema in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and all of your might. And then in the New Testament, there's a word that shows up. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and strength. And you go, where did that come from? It's because the, Greco, the, the Greek language didn't have a word to define the word heart in the Hebrew the way that the Hebrews defined heart. Because the Hebrew understanding of the word heart is not just your emotions, it's not just your affections, it's also your mind. It was never separated. To the Hebrew to say that your heart, your feelings, and your mind were separated, they never understood that. But the, the, through ancient Greek, because they didn't have that word, Jesus and the authors, they put that in so their audience can understand it. That's where we get confused with this word soul, okay? So in, in the Old Testament, 
The word soul is a beautiful and fascinating word because it helps us understand that the soul is not spirit. Okay? The soul is not the spirit. They're very similar. In fact, think about it this way. It's like the soul and the spirit is like two sides of the same coin. Right? It's kind of the same concept. They're both immaterial, but they're also different. We understand through the scriptures that every single person has a soul. You're going to hear me. I actually said it wrong in terms of how the Hebrews say it. Every person is a soul and every single person has a spirit. Every single person is a living soul, but not every single person has a living spirit. This is a major difference, okay? In the ancient Greeks, soul and spirit were combined, but in Hebrews, the soul and the spirit are different, okay? Because the Bible helps us understand that we're all born in sin. That's what we call theologically original sin. You're born dead in sin. That means your spirit is dead, which means you aren't connected with God. You don't want God. You can't love God. You can't do anything to earn right favor with God. You can never be at peace. You can never be at rest because your spirit is dead. It's separated. It's disconnected. The spirit is the immaterial part of who you are that connects with God. And when we receive the gift of salvation by faith through his grace, our spirits are made alive. We move from death to life, which is the phrase, you're born again. And when your spirit is made alive, God puts inside of you a desire to love him. That's the concept of having a heart of flesh. And it's then and only then you can love him. And it's then and only then where your spirit is alive. But your spirit can be dead and you still can be a living soul, which is also immaterial, but also material. Now hold, hang with me. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and spirit. Okay? They're two different things. That's what we've got to understand of joints and marrow. It's kind of using this illustration. It's like they're, they're closely related, but they're really, really close to being together, but it's two sides of the same coin, like joints and marrow, like joints and bone. They're close, but they're not the same. They need each other. Your soul will never be able to flourish unless your spirit is made alive. Your soul will never be able to flourish and thrive unless you're loving him with your heart. And here's the beauty of this. When your heart is given to him, when your heart is, is loving him in response to his love, your soul finds itself submitting to the heart. And when your soul submits to the heart, your thoughts and your feelings submit to the soul. So that's why we say, if your heart is right, everything else falls into place. So here's a major fundamental difference with the word soul. The word soul in Hebrew, we're going to learn some Hebrew, and I want you to say this, is the word nefesh. Say it with me. I'm going to say it a lot, so don't laugh. Nefesh, okay? This word is used over 700 times in the Old Testament. It's used for different meanings, but they're all kind of conveying the same idea. So sometimes you'll see the word nephesh to relate to the throat, which is kind of odd, right? So um, the children of Israel, as they're wandering in the desert, and they start to complain about being thirsty, they say, my nephesh has dried up. 
My throat has dried up. Or when Joseph was shackled, he had shackles around his neck. It says that his nephesh was shackled. Like in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, as the deer's nephesh is panting for living water, so my soul or my nephesh pants for him. And why they use the word throat is because in Hebrew thinking, right, Jesus taught this that what goes in a person comes out of a person. So it's a reflection of life. It's what gives life. It, it shows the inner quality of life. So to the Hebrew, the soul wasn't just immaterial. It was everything about you, your whole well-being, your whole life, your physicality, and your internal, your, your internal self. It's every single thing, okay? So whereas you have a spirit, you're not a spirit, Right? You have a spirit, but you're not spirit. When the Hebrews would talk about the soul, they would say, you are a nephesh. You don't have a nephesh because you are one. You are a soul. And they get this as we look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we get this beautiful picture of how God created man. It says, out of the dust of the ground, he formed man. And there was no life in that man. In other words, it was a dead nephesh. There was no life there. Like, it, 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 it was still a nephesh, but it was, it was dead. Now check this out. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became, here's the word, nephesh, right there, a living creature. So he's physically alive and yet internally alive. It's every aspect of a person, okay? So here's why <coughs> this is important. Only humanity is created in the image of God, which means only humanity is a nephesh. Only humanity is soul. And we are called to love him. We see things like in these Psalms, like my whole being, my whole soul praises him. Everything. And apart from Jesus, your souls are designed to be rooted in something. And if you're not made alive, if your spirit isn't alive, and if you don't have a heart of flesh, your soul can never be planted by the streams of living water. So therefore, you will live dehydrated. Your soul will shrivel. You will be frustrated. You will deal with anxiousness and, and, and stuck in sin. You can't get out of it. But when you are made alive, when your spirit is reborn, and you've been given the heart of flesh, you now have the ability and the moral responsibility to choose where you will plant your nephesh. Before Jesus, you cannot choose. There is no choice. You can only plant yourself by toxic waters. But when your heart is made alive, you can choose to plant yourself by his streams or you can choose to plant yourself by toxic streams. The choice is yours. So, you can wake up now. The only time in your life when you will be able to say, whatever my lot Whatever may come, it is well.
with my soul. The only time you can say that is if you are loving the Lord with your soul. And here's how I want to explain this. Psalm 42, I know I already mentioned this, but I want us to look at it again. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. When you've been made alive, when you've been born again, your soul begins to understand where it needs to be planted. Your soul begins to crave this living water. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're in a wilderness season, a desert season, or a season of deliberate disobedience or sin, whatever it is, and yet you might be choosing to plant yourself by toxic waters, your soul and your spirit now that are alive, connected to God, is saying to you, you need to be planted here. And you're like, I know, but you're wrestling with all of this internal stuff. You know what it's like to be planted by his streams, and you know what it's like to be planted by toxic streams of water. So I want you to answer this question. Where will you allow to put your soul roots down? Where will you allow your soul to put down its roots and to be connected? What life source will you allow your soul to feed on? Because if God breathed his life into us and that was how we became a living creature, a living soul, that means that God has a specific, a specific design for your soul to flourish. Okay? So what I want to do is I want to look at Psalm, uh, Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Even though in this psalm the word nephesh doesn't come, show up, it doesn't talk about the soul, it rather describes an individual who loves the Lord with all his soul. So look at this in Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. This man is defined by what he doesn't do. He's not getting his information. He's not making his decisions. He's not allowing his feelings and emotions to be dictated or influenced by things outside of God. He's not allowing his opinions or the world's opinions to influence him. He's not allowing the counsel of the wicked who don't believe in God, who don't care about God to influence him. He's not in the way of the sinners. He meets with them, he loves them, but he's not sitting with them. He's not being influenced with them. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His love, his delight, his joy is in what God says, how to live, how to walk, how to breathe, how to do this thing. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And he doesn't do this to try to earn or prove anything to God. He's not doing it to try to please God. Like, hey God, I'm in your word. Look at me, look at me. Do you love me now? He's not doing it. This is a response to, oh my goodness, my soul loves him. He is so good. Look what he's done for me. I love his word. I want to know what his word is saying because it feeds my soul like no other. He delights in it. He delights in it. He loves it. And this is what it's like to love the Lord with all your soul. Here's the result. Here's the image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. He is like a tree that has dug its roots down by God's living water. And this tree will produce fruit 
in its appropriate time. It will produce its fruit in its appropriate time. And all that it does, it prospers regardless of what's happening around the tree. Regardless of any external circumstances, of anything that's happening, this person, because he's loving the Lord with all his soul, can say, whatever my lot, it is well with my soul. I know him, he's good, he's faithful, and everything that he says is for my good and for my benefit, that no matter what happens, because I know him, I'm planted here. This is a beautiful image for us. How many of us get shaky by God's stream when external circumstances start to nail us? How many of you, when life hits you, you feel the pressures of life, the temptation of sin, or whatever it is, that you start to go, oh my goodness, I, I, I need to somehow take control of this circumstance. And you start to think, I'm strong enough, I'm smart enough, I know what to do, and, I don't know what to do. and we slowly move ourselves from here. You start to feel the nervousness, the anxiety, the anxiousness. This is not how God has designed our souls to thrive. Our souls are meant to thrive and we're planted here because no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens externally, we are able, this fruit that's produced comes with peace and rest and strength. It shows up in our thought life. It shows up in our feelings. It shows up in our relationships, in our behaviors. We can stand and say, I'm thankful in all things. I can give him praise in all things because I know him, that he will work all things out for the good. That doesn't mean I enjoy everything that happens, but I can have peace and rest and joy and hope because I'm rooted here because of him. That's what it starts to look like to love the Lord with all of your soul. But like I said, we know the war that's happening inside. James says, right, like sin happens when we are tempted and when that temptation sticks to our soul and we let it sit there, it slowly conceives and it gives birth to sin. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 2 that inside of you, there is a war being waged on the inside for your soul. Not your salvation. He's speaking to those who are already saved. To those who are soldiers and exiles. You've got to understand, Hebrew thinking is different. Soul, your whole being. It's the, the temptations are being waged. Like, yes, the passions of the flesh aren't just the tangible things like the sinless, like drunkenness and orgies and sexual morality and lying. It includes that, but it also includes pride, dissension, arrogance, insecurity. It, it deals with all of those things. Our souls were designed to be lived in, in flourishing independence to him, to be planted in him. Sin and all of the noise, all of the temptation is all about trying to root us out of that, to bring us over here, to be dependent upon something else. And we know the fruits of this life over here, of being rooted in something else. It's like drinking coffee all day 
to find yourself going, what, how did this happen? Oh, I knew I should have had water. As my deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. So, how do we love the Lord with all our soul? How do we do it? Before I answer that, what is the condition of your soul right now? Are you anxious? Are you weary? Tired? Life? Is it tiring? Is it heavy? Are you joyful? Is there peace in your life? Do you feel rest? Is there toxicity in your life? Is your life one that could be described as vibrant? Do you feel enslaved, stuck in behaviors and patterns and thinking or whatever it is? Do you feel confused, lost, hopeful? However you answer those questions will inform you as to where your soul is planted. So how do we love the Lord with all our soul? I fought to make this as simple as I possibly can, just like how do we love the Lord with all of our hearts? Like we said then, with, how do we love him with all of our hearts? Be reminded of his love for you and pray that God would grant you the power through his spirit so that you would know the love that surpasses knowledge. God, I want to know more because when I know more of your love, I want to love you more. How do we love the Lord with all of our soul? Three words. Come to Jesus. My favorite three words in the whole Bible. Come to Jesus. Come to him. Not just once. Daily. Moment by moment. And here's where this comes from. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, 29, and 30. Come to me. My three favorite words. Come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I give you rest. I, I, I just imagine this. When Jesus is looking at his people, we actually see this. When he's about to feed the 5,000, he sees them as harassed and helpless sheep without a shepherd. And, he, and he's looking at their souls, really. He's like, you're weary, you're burdened, you're anxious, you're, you're just wandering around in this life. Like, just come to me. Come to me. Like, you're not coming to a program you're not coming to a Bible study, a 12-step program. All of those are good. You're not coming to a religion. You're coming to a person. You're coming to the one who created your soul, who knows you, all of the ins and the outs and the anxiousness and the anxiety and insecurities and all the prides. He knows all of the sinful thoughts and everything about you. He knows that when you could care less about him, he still came to love you, to do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. And here he is telling the humanity, saying, listen, I know your souls are weary. I know your souls are shriveling. I know it's not thriving. I know you feel heavy. I know you feel burdened. Just, just come to me. Just, that's it. Just come to me. Easy to say. Hard to understand and hard to do. But it's only here where you will find rest. You can never work yourself into peace. you got to understand that. You, will, you can never figure out a scheme or a scenario that will make you find the rest that God can give you. 
You can never work, scheme, model, plan, anything that would give you peace. Ever. There's only one way and only one design for it, and it's to come to Jesus. Jesus knows our soul cries. Look at how the psalmist says this in Psalm 23. This is so good. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. If you have a shepherd, you are not leading. If you have a shepherd, you are a follower. Trusting and depending on the character and the goodness and the faithfulness and the loving, gentle care of the shepherd. Jesus is saying in Matthew 11, come to me. I am the good shepherd. We know what happens to sheep if they don't have a shepherd. They literally end up killing themselves. Do you not think that's what we do with our souls? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Folks, this is God's design for our souls. We should be planted in such a spot where we understand with certainty, I have no want. I I have no need because of him. He makes me lie down in green pastures. No matter what's happening, there will be peace and rest. He leads me beside still uh, quiet waters, still waters. Look at this. He restores my soul. He's the only one that can do that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He, sorry, it went backwards. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though external circumstances are raging against me, even though everything looks bleak and horrible and there's hardships and persecutions and there's just things that are hard where I'm tempted to take control of my own life and circumstances and go my own way and do my own thing, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, whatever my lot, I can say it as well. Because I know him. I will fear no evil. I will be at peace. There will be rest. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And in another psalm will say this, Psalm 131, verse 2. This is the psalmist saying, all the things that are happening in my life, I came, I went to him. When Jesus says, come to me, I'm the good shepherd, look what starts to happen to our soul. I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mutter. M- mutter. <laughs> with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Come to me, all you who are burdened and weary. Your soul is in turmoil and it's shriveling. It doesn't feel like it's flourishing. Come to me and I will give you rest. How do you love the Lord with all your soul? You first come to him. First come to him. And the second thing you do, like it says, take his yoke upon you. Come to me. All you are weary, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit. This yoke, many of us know, it's, it's, it's a farm tool that was used where they would literally yoke two oxen. 
And what farmers would do, and it was a very strategic thing, is they would put in first a very old, well-seasoned, strong ox, and they would put in a very young, new, green ox that doesn't know anything how to do the work. And so they would do that. And this image isn't just so that we have like an easy life, because reality is both ox are going to do the work. But what this young oxen is doing is surrendering control. This young ox is no longer worrying or caring about the outcomes because it's just yoked to the one who knows what to do. You hearing me? So when you come to him, when you take his yoke upon you, for one, that's your choice. He won't force that on you. It's an invitation. You want to love me with all your soul? You come to me. You take my yoke upon you. And when you do that, you are giving up the control of outcomes. Let me say it this way. You cannot love the Lord your God with all of your soul if you are still trying to control and manipulate outcomes. You cannot love the Lord with all your soul if you're still trying to control and dictate your life. You will never find rest. You'll never find peace doing it that way. Ever. Ever. But we are so prone to believe that. Come to me. I want to show you how to plant your soul in the right spot. Take my yoke upon you. Yes, we will do, do work together, but I am your shepherd. I am leading. You no longer have to worry about what's going to come. You no longer have to worry about any outcomes. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'm with you. We're doing this together, you and I. We're going to go through this life. And then and only then will you find peace. Jesus is saying, I'm gentle. I'm lowly in spirit. I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to shame you. I'm not going to guilt you if you don't get it. Let's do this thing together. And many of us, let's just be honest, have a difficult time giving up control. Anyone? Yes. The call to love the Lord your God with all of your soul is the call to give up control. When he plants his spirit, when he gives us the desire to love him, when our spirits are made alive, we begin to give him more of our hearts. And when we do that, listen, your soul will naturally want to submit to your heart that loves him. If your heart is right, everything else falls into place. And here's what will happen. In Psalm 63, these things will start to show up and you'll actually start to believe it. You'll be able to say in full authenticity, whatever happens, whatever my lot, it is well. Because of him, you'll be able to say some of these things like in Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. Like this is a soul psalm. Like God, you, you are my, you're everything. I mean, look at this language. Earnestly I seek you. Because I know how good you are. I've seen what you've done. You, by your spirit, have opened my eyes to know this love that surpasses knowledge. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. <laughs> like my flesh faints for you. 
This, this is a person who understands his soul and the condition of his soul and where it needs to be. It's like, I want this. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Folks, that is life apart from God. You ever experienced that? So I have looked upon you in a sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory. Oh, this is so good. Because your steadfast love is better than life. What would change in your life right now if that got your heart? Because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In other words, it's like my nephesh will bless you. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. This person knows this. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. When my soul, this is such a good word, clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. How do you love the Lord your God with all your soul? You come to Jesus. Get in his yoke. Give up control. Let him determine all the outcomes. Because you know he's good. He is a faithful creator. So Father, I thank you that your word always speaks right to our heart. That you know the condition of our souls better than any of us know. That when you give us these snapshots of how you see us through, through Jesus, that when he looked at the crowd, he saw them as harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, souls that are weary, souls that are anguished, souls that are crying, souls that are lost. And Lord, forgive us for still not wanting to necessarily always dig our roots in your streams, but to find it in other places still. Father, we, we ask for forgiveness in the areas where we try to control and manipulate circumstances where we're not trusting you, where we're not waiting upon you, where we feel like if we don't do this, it won't happen. Lord, I'm praying for us as a church that through the power of your Spirit, we would truly believe in our hearts that your steadfast love, the love that is eternal, the love that never changes, the love that will never go away, is better than life itself. So Lord, that's where we come again in dependence, asking that you would grant us the strength by your Holy Spirit together with all of the saints to know this love that surpasses all knowledge. So Lord, as we respond to you in this moment, God, I ask that you would show us areas where we need to surrender. Show us areas where we need to let go of control. Show us the areas where we're not at peace, where we're not at rest, where we're striving and trying to make it happen. Areas where we're trying to prove ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would get a glimpse of your love and respond in kind. So Lord, here we are. We stand with our hands open. And we say, take it all.
Jesus' name. Amen.